when I say the name of Jesus, I just want you guys just to do something in your head. Just think out loud, or not out loud, think internally. Um, what is, what's the first thing that pops in your head? When I just say the name of Jesus, like, what do you think about? And, and, and the reason why I ask this question is because he was so many things that even Jesus' ministry that we see that he was, he was a storyteller, he was a teacher, he was a healer, he was a scholar, like he, um, he knew the word. And there's so many, he was our savior. There's so many different things that describe Jesus in our lives, but also just the heart and the ministry that he had. And so I just, in the same way, when I mentioned the Bible, I, what's the first thing that just pops in your head? I think often when we think of the Bible, we think of homework or do's and don'ts or I can't do this, I'm supposed to do this, uh, more of an obligation. Yet in the same way that Jesus has so many different roles and intricate details about his ministry, in the same way, it, the Bible has so many different parts of the story. And so in the Bible that we see, there, there are moments, um, I mean, even, even breaking it down really simple between Old Testament and New Testament, and we notice that those can be very different. Um, but then also we have the Psalms and their hymns and their songs and their praises. We have the gospel message. We have instructions. But we also have stories. And, and I just would ask the question this morning, has anyone just been captivated by a good story? Like, like, like you can't put it down. Like you pick up a book and you're like, well, I'm doing nothing all day um, because I have to know how it ends. And in the same way, I just, there's so many stories in the Bible that are just so captivating. And so that, that, that's what I want to dive into this morning. We're going to dive into the Old Testament and just some stories in which Jesus did some incredible things. The Lord was there. And, and it was amazing. And so I want to talk about the life of Moses. And so the title of this message is Neither Disqualified or Unqualified. And we're looking at the life of Moses. And I think when, when, when we mention Moses, often if you've grown up in the church or there's the Sunday school kind of, you, you know, the parting of the Red Sea or the ten plagues or just, you know, these, uh, these miraculous things that were happening, the freeing of the people. But I actually want to talk about the beginning of the story. I want to talk about the struggle before the beauty. That's the focus of this morning. And so a little bit of context, though, for those of us that don't know, uh, who this Moses guy is. It was one of those things that in, in these Old Testament times, the Israelites, they're God's chosen people, and they are being enslaved by the Egyptians. And so Pharaoh, who's, who's this king of Egypt, he, he, he gave this order, this decree, that any Hebrew baby that was a boy was to be killed. And, and, and the reason why is because he, you know, he doesn't want anyone to overpower him. And so this thing of just, just the... the the oppression of God's people. And so, but there's this moment where, you know, this, this Hebrew woman has the baby. And so she, 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 she rebels against that decree, that order, and just protects him, just guards him safely. And after three months, though, feels like she can't really continue this, that it's going to be found out. And so she puts him just kind of safely in this basket along the Nile River. And, and I would just say the fact that this baby survived the Nile River is another miracle that I feel like we don't necessarily address. But the Nile River, uh, you know, the animal nerd side of me again coming out, is one of the most dangerous places. Like, I mean, you think about the Nile crocodile is one of the most fierce predators. On average, the Nile crocodile kills 200 people a year. It can have a max size of 20 feet long and can weigh 1,600 pounds. And you never know that it's there until it's too late. <laughs> and so, but we see this, this baby just in, in, the, in the waters. And, and again, even just that part of the story can just often be overlooked. But it's a miracle that, that, that the baby was discovered. And so we see Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby, has compassion on it. And so instead of killing the baby, actually brings the Hebrew woman to raise him 
pays for the help, and then when he becomes older of age, she adopts the boy as her own and names him Moses, for I have lifted him out of the water. And this is a little bit of a side note, but practically, it is a miracle that he made it. And I would just say, in your own life, it's a miracle that you're here. Like, like, like in this chair, in this practice, like practically, that, that God's provision is constantly over our lives so that we could actually be here. And so in the big ways, but also the little ways that we don't even realize, like God is constantly moving and God is constantly orchestrating us being in this very seat, in this very moment. And so we can see this. And so, but as Moses grows up, he's, he's torn. I mean, like there's this, the idea of he's being raised in Pharaoh's courts, but then he, but, but then he also sees the enslavement and the oppression of his people. And so there's this moment where Moses, just in anger, just sees this, this Hebrew just slave being beat, just constantly beat. And so he actually, in a fit of rage, kills the Egyptian man. And so the next day, there's this, there's this moment of, of this shame, of this panic in Moses' heart where he realizes uh, I, people, people are going to find that one out. Like, they're going to realize that guy is missing. And so Pharaoh aggressively wants to kill him. He panics. He's terrified. And he, and he flees. He, he runs away for 40 years in the desert. And so, and so part of that story is he, you know, he, he marries and he becomes a shepherd. But I feel like there's this moment where Moses just feels forgotten about. Mo- Moses just kind of feels left on the side. And I just say, like, the story doesn't end there. Like, in fact, for me, the, like, the story is, is just beginning. But, like, sin and shame drew Moses into the desert. But God did not let him stay there forever. Because this feeling that Moses had, a feeling disqualified, yet God would just simply have the heart that says, you cannot run far enough to escape my love. And so we see Moses, though, just overwhelmed with shame. And, and I would just, like, have we, ever, have we ever felt like we were wrestling with something so big that we felt disqualified from God's love? Like, like, like that, that, that we struggled, that we tried to overcome, whether it, was, whether it was an addiction or a sin or a fear or something in our life that we just, we can't overcome. And so, so often at times, spiritually, we just go into this recluse, we go into this hiding we feel like God, like, like don't, don't look at this, don't look at me. And so we see Moses just flee and just stay there. And yet, like, God had such a greater calling on Moses than even Moses realized. And so God is trying to bring Moses out of the desert. But, but there's two things that I want to talk about first in the desert. That, that when I say the desert, I mean, practically, for Moses, it was a physical place in the desert. But often we say the desert, and spiritually, that means it's a dry season. It's a time of hardship. It's a time when things are not going well. And it's a time, to be honest, that often we'll question where Jesus is in our life. And so, but there's this time of, if you walk with Jesus, there's ebb and flows. There's seasons of promised land and great moments, but there's seasons of hardship. And so that's what I want to talk about, the seasons of hardship. And there's two things to know about the desert. One is that no matter how unfun it is, (laughs) no matter how much we dislike it, there are lessons to be learned that are vital for our growth. And the second thing is that seasons come and go, but you will not be in the desert forever. That he will bring you out of it. And uh, in, in James 1 through 2, and then also verse 12, it talks about that. It talks about trials. It talks about enduring. And it says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
And then God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. And I would just say, in our own life, it isn't until push comes to shove that you discover your true strength. And, and, and that these seasons of hardship, they force us to grow, they force us to persevere. How many of us in our own life has just kind of told God, like, I can't handle much more. Like, like, like God, I, I don't, like, this, this is terrible. And then you pile this on and this on. And often in life, when it rains, it pours. And, and that seasons of desert aren't just like, oh, it's, you know, it's slightly hot. It's, it's a burning desert. And it's tough. And so, but in those moments where we tell God, like, I don't know how much more I can handle. Like, I don't know if I can continue onward. We have two choices. That we can either give up or we can press in and we can fight. And so these are the moments that fortify our faith. These are the moments that are not fun, but these are the moments that continue to, to allow us to grow, to develop our faith. That Proverbs 24, 16 says, The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. And uh, to be honest, there was, a, there was a season in my life that, that, that was really tough for me. Uh, I felt spiritually, physically, and emotionally broken. It's very tough to move on when it's just everything. But I felt like the Lord put this verse on my heart with the reminder. Because I felt like growing up in the church, I always looked at that verse just in the context of sin. Like, like if I sin, I'll get back up. You know, if I sin, I get back up. Because I cannot out the love and grace of Jesus. But at the same time, I felt like the Lord was like, no, no, no. It's not just sin, it's circumstances. But sometimes life is hard, and sometimes it's because of decisions we make. And oftentimes it's we're suffering because of decisions that other people have made. And that's a tough one. And so, but this idea of, of it's not just the sin, but it's the trials of life. And I felt like God kind of gave me this, this schoolyard analogy. And the idea of if you picture just a schoolyard brawl or two, <laughs> two people fighting, which, you know, I'm not condoning any of that. But the idea, like, let's say, like, one kid just gets punch and just gets knocked down he's gonna get back up and then he gets punched and gets knocked down again he's gonna get back up well eventually when you get punched and knocked down enough you're gonna curl up into a ball you're gonna play dead or you're just gonna hope that they leave like like, like eventually you're like why would i get back up if i'm gonna get knocked down again and, and, and in this moment in this season i feel like the lord was like spiritually that's what you've done like like like, like you've played dead You've lost your fight. And that if you want to overcome those seasons, you have to learn how to get back up again. And the Lord was like, you need to learn how to fight like you've never fought before. And again, those moments are not fun, but they are vital for our growth. That even just, you know, thinking about, even just we, we had the guys retreat, you know, last weekend, and the girls are at their retreat this weekend. But the idea that, you know, when you are there, surrounded by people that love Jesus, that have the same heart, the same vision, when, when, when worship is just on point, you know, and, and, and a sermon felt good, it's easy to feel those things. But then when you come home, and you're stuck in the daily routine, and you're stuck in the same temptations or the same hardships, it just feels like, again, this overcoming of how do I get through this? How do I get through this? Because I think the thing that we lose sight of, but that we have to realize, is that you are in a fight. Like, 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 like the Lord is with us, the Lord goes before us, but the enemy wants to bring you down. And I think often at times we can be most vulnerable when we don't even realize that we are in a fight to begin with. And then you're punched in the face and you're like, what just happened? 
And so I think often there's these seasons or these moments where we need to, we need to realize that we're in a fight. And, and, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, the Lord in, 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 the, in Proverbs compares that the righteous are as bold as a lion. And, and, and I love the power and the imagery with a lion. But, but I feel like it's, it's distinctive as to why. I mean, you think about God comparing it to a lion. The lion's king of the jungle. The lion doesn't walk around in fear. The lion doesn't walk around like, I hope somebody doesn't try to fight me today, or I hope I don't have, like, the lion fears no one, because he's king. And I would just say, like, when, when we put our identity and our foundation in the fact that Jesus is the king that goes before me, we can walk around with that same confidence, that same boldness, that it's not on our own strength and not in a place of pride, but in a place of confidence, knowing that the Lord goes before me, I can walk around not scared just confident, with authority, with power, saying, enemy, bring it on because you will not win. You cannot win. And so the Lord calls us to this boldness like the king of the jungle. And I think that's where he wants us to know that we have that power, we have that authority. And I would just say in the same way, you look at a lion that's king of the jungle, the lion that's the, like the leader of the pride, and its face is scarred, its face is mangled, because it didn't shy away from a fight, it embraced it, it conquered it, it overcame, and I would just say that often in our lives, we go through seasons where our body and our spirit is filled with scars, and then the enemy will try to shame you for your scars, but scars are simply a reminder that the enemy did not win that you would not let him win, that you fought, that you endured. And so walking with Jesus, your life may have scars inside, but that Jesus heals the pain. Scars are something that don't hurt anymore because you overcame it. And that in Galatians six seventeen, it says, For I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Christ Jesus. And so again, the enemy will want to shame us for having to endure it, But when we survive the desert, we may be filled with scars, but we will have power, we will have authority, and we will have confidence stepping into it. And the next piece that I want to look at, so there's this moment, we're back to Moses, this moment where he's he's a shepherd in the desert. It it, it feels forgotten, it feels off in the distance, it feels like what's going to happen to Moses. And there's this moment where, where the Lord has to go to extreme measures to get his attention. And how often is that true of us spiritually, where God really has to captivate our interest? But, but God speaks to Moses through a burning bush. I don't know about you, but that would creep me out. Like, if there was just a bush outside that was just on fire and it was, like, speaking to me, I would probably run in the other direction. I would be very scared. Um, but there's this moment where God just so confidently and desperately gets Moses' attention through this burning bush. And so in Exodus 3... 7 through 10, it says, Then the Lord said to him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with with milk and honey. The land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezerites, the Hivites, Jebusite, now look, (laughs) bear with me, some Old Testament names are tough. Um, The cry of the people of Israel have reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. And there's this moment where Pharaoh is like, or I mean not Pharaoh, there's a moment where Moses is like, oh Pharaoh, you mean 
the guy that tried to kill me all those years ago, they hate me. Or, or, and, and God is asking Moses to go to Pharaoh and get Pharaoh to release all of his slaves. And, and to set the people of Israel free. But that is no small task. Uh, hey, uh, Pharaoh, do you mind? Uh, no, no, that's not going to happen. Like, you know, you, like the, the power trip, but, you know, I mean, economics, all these different factors of, like, that's not going to happen. So Moses is just overwhelmed with fear and just sees, like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. And so, in, and I just want to say one thing, too. Like, I love how human Moses is in this passage. Because we see, like, some of the Old Testament or the New Testament, like, like giants of the faith in the Bible, and you're like, I could never do what they did, or we let these insecurities get a hold of us. But Moses was a man just like us. And, and in this moment, like, you just see Moses just fear-struck. Like, Moses does phenomenal things for the kingdom, sets people free, like, is a stud in the faith, and yet still has this moment of panic where he tells God no. And I think as Christians, like, we, 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 we wrestle with wrestling. Like, you're not a hypocrite, you're human. And, and I think so often, like, that, that is so hard for us to, like, actually let sink in. That it doesn't matter how often or how long you've walked with Jesus, there's moments where fear will strike your heart. There's moments where you will wrestle. There's moments where there's panic. And yet God is loving the entire way. And so, but, but then we see Moses protest again before God. And he says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answers, I will be with you. And this is the sign, I am the one who sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go before the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me, they will ask, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to them, I am who I am. Now say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so I think, again, we see Moses in this moment. You know, earlier, I, he felt disqualified. And sin and shame drew him to the desert. But now we see this moment of God wanting to bring him back to the, to the people, to Pharaoh. And we see this moment of fear because now Moses feels unqualified. And, I, and again, I would just say sometimes God has to go to extreme measures to get our attention. And that we need to focus on God's strengths instead of our shortcomings. That Jesus is not after your perfection, but he is after your pursuit, and he is after a willing heart. But again, we see Moses just fixating on his shortcomings. We see Moses just terrified. We see Moses, instead of looking at what God can do, he looks at the, the practical inadequacies of his life. And he's like, I'm not a good public speaker, not a good communicator. I don't know how this is going to happen. And yet God is wanting to gently like, lead him, but we have to focus on God's strengths power and authority, not our own weaknesses and insecurities. And yet again, I say, I do appreciate the transparency, the vulnerability of saying, like, I, I, I'm, I'm scared. And so, but we see Moses again. There's a second time where Moses pleads. He says, but Mo, in Exodus 4, so we jump one chapter, 10 through 12, it says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I am not very good with words. I never have been, and I am not very good with words. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the, then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether the people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you on what to say. And this is the second of three times 
that Moses begs and protests to not be sent back. And I just kind of have a fun question, or I have a question of, have we ever tried telling our father no? Like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. My dad is right here, and here's a perfect example of me attempting to tell my father no. Growing up, I hated roller coasters. I was terrified. They, to me, I mean, my parents were like, we will take you to Disney World, just go on rides. And I was like, nah, I'm good. Like, what kid is like, nah, I'll pass. Like, I just, I really did not like rides. They terrified me. And so my brother was the same way, and so we're terrified of rides, and we just don't, like, I, I would do anything before going on that roller coaster. And so we go vacationing to, like, northern Idaho, Coeur d'Alene. It's beautiful, and there's, there's this amusement park called Silverwood. And, and, and it's a great park. I love it. And so we, we, we go through, and my dad, like, buys the tickets and then immediately, like, just sprints off for the rides. And I think there was this mutual moment in me and my brother's heart where we, there was panic because we were like, oh, wait, does he expect us to go on those? Like, uh. And so my dad is, like, sprinting. And my brother and I are just, like, slowly just, like, mm, like, you know, like just as, as like, as, as slowly as could be, just don't want to go. But we're going down this direction, and my brother the entire time is like, Dad, like, I'm not going on the rides. He's like, yeah, I know, I know, come on, son. Like, like walking down the music park up to the line, like, Dad, I'm not going to go. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, son. We're standing in line, and my brother's like, Dad, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going on this ride. He's like, I know, I know. We're getting closer to the front of the line. And he's like, I'm really, like, I'm not going on this ride. And he's like, yeah, yeah no, no, I, I, I know, son. We're sitting in the roller coaster. And my brother, and he's getting strapped in. And he's like, Dad, I'm not going on this ride. Yeah, no, no I know, son. As he's, like, buckling him. And, and, and there's finally this moment where my brother's like, oh, no. Like I'm, actually, like, I'm actually going on this ride. And so he's just scared with fear. And then me being the little brother that just wants to, you know, like, be so supportive, I see my brother freaked out, and so I just start to bawl. Like, I'm crying. I'm like, we're going to die, you know. And so this guy is, like, approaching us, the operator at the ride. He sees my brother just like, I'm not going, I'm not going. I'm, like, just freaking out. And then he just sees, like, me just crying and just, like, looks at my dad and is like, is, is everything okay? And, and my dad, in the most gentle, loving, gracious way possible, just looks at him and yells, hit it, man. And so, <laughs> and I think the guy was still unsure, but you just see him smack. The th- and so we go off, like, like we're going on the ride. And I remember just, again, this fear, this, this just terror. And yet there was this moment where fear transitioned into fun because I was like, oh, wait, this is actually really cool. It took my brother two times to learn that he could actually open his eyes, that that was actually more better because he's just like, just, you know, like squinting and not looking for anything because as if that would help when you're going on a roller coaster. And so there was this moment, though, where sure enough, we had fun. Like, like we loved it. We enjoyed it. And I just say, I think oftentimes spiritually, like we are so hesitant to take that leap of faith. And my dad, if he had known that it wasn't going to be safe, or that it wasn't best for me, never would have put us on that ride. But he did, knowing what was on the other side, knowing that when you take that leap of faith, that there was such goodness there. And and that the the protective, fatherly instinct only wanted what was best for us. And so there's times where we're asked to do something that takes us a leap and a step further than our comfort zone. And so we see God in this moment with Moses, like, ask him to do something amazing because, G- because God is looking at the other side and sees all of the good, sees all of the miracles, sees all of the provision, sees the big picture, knows that God is with Moses every step of the way, and he's looking after him. 
And he would never have asked Moses to do that had he not been with them every step of the way and had there not been good on the other side. And so there's this moment where, where we have to get outside of our comfort zone. We have to step out. And so again, just, just wrapped up in this, this feeling unqualified and feeling insecure, but knowing that again, we have to trust our father, that he goes before us, that he wants our best. And so there's this moment though where again, Moses is overwhelmed and, and he puts comfort into his heart by saying, you're not going to be alone. That Exodus 4, 14 through 17 says, all right, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see him, or to see you. Talk with him and put the words in his mouth. I will be, be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be the spokesman to the people. He will be the mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. And the last thing that I just want to look at is Jesus will never ask you to overcome adversity on your own. In fact, this was never the way it was intended. You may be in the desert, but you are never truly alone. Because Jesus is there. Because his spirit's there. But he also sends people along the way. That that is so vital to our growth, that is so vital to our faith. Again, even thinking of just the retreat this last weekend and the idea of, of, of wrestling. You cannot survive or overcome things on your own. You just can't. And so it, it, like when, when we come together in the church as brothers and sisters united, we find strength within one another. And so God was bringing Moses out of the desert and calling him to something that scared him and that was overwhelming. But he used Aaron to help with support and strength. That Aaron was that loyal friend in the trenches. And I would just, I want to ask the question of, who is your Aaron? That loyal friend in the trenches. The one that if you are overwhelmed and need help, that in a heartbeat has your back. Because if you don't have one, you need one. To survive the desert, to survive life, in the good times and the bad. In the good times to celebrate and in the tough times to have someone help you. For me, one of, one of those people in my life is my buddy Christian. And, and, and we've been best friends since middle school. That he always had my back. That he was always there for me. And I remember one camp in particular. We're having a breakout session. And something the speaker said just kind of triggered my heart. Um, it, was, it was kind of, it brought up the divorce in my, in, in my heart and my family. And that was something that I was still wrestling with, still processing. And so I'm kind of starting to get a little bit emotional. And so I'm starting to cry, but not like a, like a tear or two, like to the point where you're, you're a distraction. Like you can, and so I just, I get up and I leave in the middle, in the middle of the message, in the middle of teaching, and, and not to create a distraction, but because I was trying to prevent that. But immediately I get up and leave, and instantaneously my buddy gets up and walks out with me. And he had no idea what was going on, had no idea what to say. To this day, I have no idea what he said. But for three hours was with me as I walked around the camp. I, I needed help, I needed prayer, I needed wisdom. My shirt was just, it was in the summer, so it was covered with just sweat, snot, and tears. It was not pretty. I'm not, I'm not, I'm an ugly crier. But the idea that he was there. And, 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 and again, not knowing what to say, the biggest thing that you can do is just be there for someone. Because I think there's these moments where somebody's going through something that's so overwhelming, and you're like, but I don't know what to say. Just be there. And in the same way, like, that you need someone to be there for you when you're going through hardship. You need to be there for someone else as well. And so, again, who is the Aaron in your life? 
that is with you in the thick of it, that is with you in the trenches, that is with you in the good times and the bad, because we cannot overcome adversity on our own. That, that with Jesus, with help, because the, the, the worst thing is to be isolated on an island. And often we do that to ourselves because we don't realize that we're not alone. And so in Proverbs 17, 17, it says, A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. That we're never truly alone. That Jesus is always there. That sometimes we feel like talking to God is like leaving a really long voicemail. And we feel like, is he on the other side? Is he there? And in the moments where we don't know where we feel like God is, even though, even though he is there, that's the moments where God sends someone along our way to practically be in the seat next to us to help us get through life. If, uh, if the worship team wants to come back up, I just have one last kind of story to close with. That we, there's so much that I would love to talk about with Moses. Because, there, again, the, the heart of this message was the struggle before the beauty. But we see that as Moses wakes up to the calling that God has on his life, he does incredible things. That he frees the people. He performs, I mean, miracles of just things that we couldn't even imagine. And there's this moment that three, you know, three or four chapters later, in Exodus 7-1, then the Lord said to Moses, pay close attention. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that, like, we're called to be like God in that same level. That's not what I'm saying. But that when we recognize the power in our life, when we recognize that God is with us every step of the way, that we are not alone, that we are overwhelmed with power and with boldness in our life. And so we see Moses go from being so timid, so scared, saying, God, but I can't speak, I can't do this, I can't do anything, to then being the very mouthpiece of God. Proclaiming truth, proclaiming boldness, performing miracles, just taking Pharaoh head on. And he would not back down. And I would say, again, in our own lives, that when we realize the authority and the power in our lives, we get to walk with confidence. We get to walk fearless. And again, I go back to that image of the lion, but we walk around like the king of the jungle, knowing that my father goes with me and nothing can take me down. So again, as we... As we we move on with our day just that we would remember that whether we feel disqualified because of because of sin or shame or we feel unqualified because we look at insecurity the truth is that on our own we are both without jesus i am disqualified from his love i'm disqualified from his grace and i'm unqualified to do the things he asked but with jesus as we partner together that that love that blood that grace covers over me and I get to be confident that I am neither. And Jesus walks with us every step of the way. Let's pray. Would we have power and authority in our lives? Jesus, would, would we know that you call us to the boldness of a lion, which is the king of the jungle? And the heart, again, with that is that we would not be fearful. We would not be timid because life will be tough at times. There is adversity, there is desert, there is dry seasons. But would you remind us that we are never alone? That was never the way that it was intended to be. And that with people in our lives, we get to walk hand in hand. And with your spirit leading us, we get to walk into confidence, we get to walk into boldness, and we get to step into the desert, or sorry, we get to step in the promised land that you, that you have asked us to do.
would we leave the desert and would we step into the season of fruit and obedience that you have for us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. In your name, amen.